0: So today as part of our podcast series, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview Alexi Pianossi, the strengths and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, leading initial team. So Alexi, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks very much for having me.
0: Great. So Alexi, what I want to talk to you about today was first talk about your background and then your role at the Penguins, as well as the impact of COVID. And then I'd love to get your thoughts on your top three favorite technologies. And then lastly, I'd like to discuss, you know, what you're looking for when buying new technologies. So how does it sound? It sounds great. Let's get into it. Great. So, Alexi, can you tell us about your background and how you got started in the world of elite sports?
1: Absolutely. So I'm actually from uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, in the eastern part of Canada. And uh, I grew up playing hockey myself. I played for most of my life. Uh, played through junior hockey uh moved on to play at queen's university collegiately and uh, that's where i did my bachelor's degree of kinesiology and at the time i was also sort of running a private business training hockey players and other athletes sort of as a part-time job in the summer and then graduated with my undergraduate degree from queens i decided to take my business sort of to the next level and try to pursue that full-time so i ended up doing that um started operating my business year round. I worked as the strength and conditioning coach for the Halifax Mooseheads, the major junior hockey team uh, in Halifax. And then mm-hmm. I was working for them for two years uh, before a colleague or friend of mine, Andy O'Brien. He was at the time uh, director of sports science for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he said they might have a job opening. And I applied in Pittsburgh and uh, I was very fortunate you know, to, to get that job after my first interview. And I started right. August of 2017 so it's been uh, it's been I'm just about to start my fifth year here in Pittsburgh and uh, you know I've had the opportunity very fortunately to work with uh, Andy O'Brien that I mentioned there for about 10 years now and he was kind of uh, he was a major mentor in my life he actually trained when I was an athlete uh, when I was 14 and I trained with Andy for two years and he kind of sparked a desire to learn more about training and a love of training and then when it kind of came full circle i started to work for his company uh, o'brien smart uh, o'brien sport in a limited capacity sort of a part-time consulting role yeah. and we were able to spend a lot of time together in the off seasons in the summer back in halifax and uh from there you know it was kind of a natural progression into pittsburgh uh in the summer of 2017.
0: that's awesome uh, congrats on that so um can you tell us about your role and responsibilities for the penguins
1: yeah so As uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I work with my colleague, uh, Alex Trinka, who's also a strength and conditioning coach for the Penguins. Um, You know, we view strength and conditioning in the Pittsburgh organization as a very holistic approach. Uh, You know, we're certainly responsible for setting the schedule of workouts and uh, uh, setting up lifts, you know, uh, but we also take that into uh, recovery, injury prevention, uh, rehab after injuries. Uh, myself, Alex, and another uh, guy in our organization, Curtis Bell, handle the team's nutrition as well. So it's yeah. kind of become a pretty holistic role with our hands in a, a lot of different uh, areas of sports performance. And for myself and Alex especially, you know, anything that can relate to performance, um, whether it be sort of writing an individualized workout plan for a player to do on practice days or morning of a game, uh, you know, doing some specific rehab after an injury or in the later stages of the player's return to play process – or trying to figure out how to sort of customize uh, a specific nutritional plan for an athlete to sort of maximize energy availability that might be suffering a little bit around game time. We kind of take all of that on uh, as our role of strength and conditioning. And basically anything we can do to help the performance of, uh, of the players, we're
0: responsible for. Okay. And uh, you're just a few days away from um, the training camp, right? So you must be crazy busy right now.
1: Yes. Yeah, training camp starts tomorrow, actually with our kind of introduction meeting and some fitness testing and Today was actually the end of a rookie camp, so we're going to sort of move on from about 20 or 24 rookies in camp right now to 56 players in main camp. So uh, it's going to be a lot to handle here for the first week or two. Once yeah. the numbers get down a little bit and we get closer to our team, it gets a little bit easier. But at the same time, uh, once we get down to our team, we start to do a little bit more intensive work with some of the players. So mm-hmm. it might be a, a smaller group, but the work is always still there and it's always still challenging.
0: Do you feel like you're ready? <laughs>
1: I think it, we're as ready as we're going to be. I'm super fortunate, like I said, to work with a guy like Alex Trinkham, my colleague here, and uh, we have a r- really great uh, strength and conditioning coach down at our farm team in Wilkesbury Scranton, and uh, Mike Joyce, and he's been up for training camp helping us. Uh, so we're, uh, we're, we're pretty lucky to have the team we have in place here, and I think uh, you know we have a lot of aspirations for how we can take this program and affect, uh, uh, affect our players' performance and give them a competitive advantage, but I think mm-hmm. we have to do it, so that's exciting.
0: That's great. So, and obviously, you know, I'm sure last year was a challenging year because of COVID. Um, so how ch- challenging was it for you to do your job during COVID-19 and, and how things are getting better? So, for example, we work with lots of soccer teams in Europe. And I remember when COVID hit, they were trying to figure out what do we do because we can't get in touch with the players, right? Yeah. Uh, so is it better now for you guys? you have a better handle of everything? or So there was
1: kind of, In uh, at least for our role, there was kind of two different phases of COVID. So, uh, when our season got postponed in March of 2020, um, you know, we went into sort of lockdown mode, everything was closed, nobody had gym equipment, nobody had home gyms really yet because nobody was prepared for this. So, there was kind of that two months of quarantine almost three months of quarantine where we were just sort of communicating with our players via text and phone calls, trying Mm -hmm. to run some student sessions. Uh, you know, trying to design workout programs and individualized plans that were specific to the, what the player had. Some people yeah. had a gym in their house. Some people had not even a single dumbbell, nothing but body weight. So, you know, trying to, uh, trying to adapt to that was certainly difficult and ended up spending a fair amount of time sort of in meetings with colleagues and, and writing out programs and talking to athletes, trying to keep things uh, up and running because the, at the time of postponement, the thought was it won't be that long. We'll be back at the rink soon. So we wanted to make sure we were ready. Ultimately, we ended up coming back in uh, July for sort of the NHL's return to play protocol for the bubble that happened in Toronto and Edmonton. And, um, you know, the, that was sort of the start of phase two where we were back with our team, but in a COVID world. And that was kind of the same as last season where, you know, vaccinations were a relatively new thing. So they weren't out for very many people wearing a mask constantly was normal, uh, gloves, things like that, having very intense restrictions, not being allowed to leave your hotel on the road, things of that nature. So I think it was very challenging for everybody just kind of being stuck in those protocols and not having too much freedom. I think uh, the majority of people who went through it might tell you that it was just, you know, 10 or 15% more stressful every day just because of the nature of, you know, what COVID had, had to make you do. So Once we got to the rink, it wasn't too bad. We were able to do our job for the most part with uh, a few changes, with some group size restrictions and things like that. But I don't think the players and their performance suffered too much. We were able to continue doing our work. It was just, you know, much more tedious and much more difficult than it probably had to be. So I think a lot of people probably had a similar experience through COVID. You know, it it was a uniquely challenging time that nobody was really prepared for. But at the same time, I think it kind of, you know, made you appreciate the non-COVID world and made you appreciate the people you were working with so often and you know having the opportunity to kind of go through that with people and come out of it you know still friends or still colleagues and still with a good working environment i think is uh is a really positive thing we were able to take from the whole experience
0: that's great um and i know a lot of people a lot of coaches learn from it um you know we work with lots of technology companies and you know some of them have solutions to prevent injuries to measure hydration, to measure lactate. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there. Um, So what are your top three favorite technologies out there and why?
1: I kind of think of the technologies in kind of two different uh, streams. They're sort Mm of the, the, the sports science data collection of, you know, player movement and player load and what's happening already. And then there's sort of the recovery performance side. So, uh, yeah. you know, on, yeah. the, on the recovery performance side, you know, companies like Hyperice and Normatech, uh, Compex, um, you know, they've done a really good job making some really good products. But on the, I think it's the other side of the coin and sort of the, the data collection of what's going on on the ice, it's pretty exciting. So, yeah. um, you know, heart rate technology is by no means a new new idea. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot, you have a, a number of teams that work with uh, First Beat out of Finland. Yeah. And, um, you know, we found we found First Beat to be a really good system for us to term in terms of monitoring internal load and, and measuring the heart rate response to uh, the particular practice that we have. Um, I think it's always important to kind of look at what you're getting from each piece of technology and the quality of the data we get from First Beat relative to the, the cost of getting it, I think, is pretty high. We get a pretty good sense of what's going on with the players on the ice, how hard it is from a cardiovascular perspective just by mm-hmm. having them wear a heart rate monitor in the normal practice. So um, I think First Beat is, is a pretty important piece of technology for us. Yeah. Um, we've actually just invested this year in uh, a company, 1080 Quantum and 1080 Sprint. Uh, mm-hmm. The company 1080 has given us the two units and uh, we're just starting to explore, uh, you know, into some more specific uh, pathways along the rehab process specifically. So starting to, uh, I think it's a very exciting time to start to be working with 1080 and to be starting to use their quantum and sprint devices. I know they're a little bit more popular in the track and field world, Uh, some of the field-based sports like soccer, Aussie rules, football, things like that. But um, there's only, to the best of my knowledge, two or three other teams that are using uh, the 1080 quantum in professional hockey. So, you know, for us to be able to use that in a hockey-specific application and try to learn a little bit more about how it can help our players and our our return-to-play protocols and things like that, I think I would put 1080 up there pretty high in terms of... uh, I don't know too too much about it just yet, but I'm really excited for uh, what we're going to be able to learn from it. and can some of that data collection and what we're going to be able to, uh, uh, to do with, with, uh, you know, a piece of that, uh, of that caliber and that quality. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. That makes sense. And then the last one, I think for us, you know, it's a uh, it's a super interesting field, and I would kind of put uh, put a couple things in there. But the idea of monitoring movement, you know, whether yeah. it's a, a GPS or inertial device like Catapult or an RFID technology like Connecton, we personally yeah. use Connecton uh, for our on ice at our practice facility. But you know, with the NHL recently signed an agreement uh, to collect in game data using uh, a company called SMT, so we're going to start getting some data from in games as well. So I think the opportunity is now going to be before us to learn a little bit more about, you know, what is actually happening on the ice in terms of speed and load and what's happening in a practice, what's happening in a game. And it's a a pretty difficult question because I think hockey is a very unique sport. Um, You know, some sports kind of start and end with, uh, with a very, you know, similar path, whether it's a, a pitch in baseball and a swing or, you know, every play in football or American football starts from, you know, with the quarterback under center, hockey is so reactive. I and mean, even if you try to talk about the hockey skating stride, you know, when you really stop and watch a game very closely and understand some of the nuances, there's, you know, 12 or 13 different types of strides uh, that a hockey player can make, whether it be a crossover stride, a forward, a backward stride, a pivot stride, a crossover into a forward acceleration, um, a lateral motion. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways players can move on the ice. And I think it's a really exciting time to start to try to ask some questions about, you know, how challenging and how demanding are these different movements on a player? Um, I can tell you one thing that's we found really interesting using uh, our Kinexon data is just yeah. looking at the movement data in terms of number of accelerations uh, per practice or number of decelerations per practice and the differences in position. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with, uh, with hockey or, or or the NHL, but with different positions on, uh, forwards, the centermen versus the wingers, um, -hmm. you know, to, to make, to simplify it for anybody who's not familiar, wingers tend to sort of stay on each side. The right wing will stay on the right side of the ice. The left winger will stay on the left side of the ice. There's definitely swinging and switching from time to time, but, you know, in the defensive zone, transitioning to the offensive zone, it's a very sort of stop and start. You come yeah. and stop in your zone, get into your spot. When the you know your team gets the puck back, you break out and you start to accelerate again. But the center position is kind of a support position. So this centerman tends to, to loop and swoop and, and keep his feet moving and his speed up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it's really e- interesting to look at some of the data at the end of a practice when everybody's going through the same drills, but the centermen are skating far further in total distance and have far fewer decelerations. They're just not stopping and starting as much by the nature of their position. And then even within that, if you look at different wingers or different centermen, you know the style of play that that each athlete uh, you know exhibits on the ice, I think also lends itself to different levels of loading. So you know trying to ask some of these questions about how is a centerman different from a winger, different from a defenseman, and then how is this centerman different from that centerman and their styles of play and their approach to the game. I think as we start to, you know, collect more data and practices from, you know, systems like Catapult and Connexon and then, you know, incorporate more data from an SMT as it becomes more prominent in the NHL, I think we're going to start to learn a little bit more about exactly what the demands are of hockey and exactly what the demands are of the NHL. So, I would put um sort of those movement systems or those movement capture systems like Connexon, Catapult and SMT uh, uh, up very high on some of my favorite technologies because I think there's just so many questions uh, you could ask, and you know, you'd have to cipher through a lot of data, but I think the data is there you
0: know, as long as you're asking the right questions and recording the right information. I think you're right, 100%. Um, you know, and when we talk to teams, many times, uh, you know, the way they look at preventing injuries, they're looking at the external load, like things like mm-hmm. GPS data, yeah. and then they're looking at internal load. So when it comes to internal load, there are, for example, companies like ThermoHuman, they use thermography. And okay. you can see, look at the hit, you know, when you can literally take a picture of the legs of your players and see where the hit, you know, where the hit the is, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see if there's an imbalance, that might be a, a, of an indication of injury. You see what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. So so we're starting to see those types of companies looking at the internal load, right? Which is kind of new. So, uh, which, you know, brings my, my next question. I think you, you cannot talk about this, but. You know how important is technology to you guys to your work, and what are the biggest benefits of using the technology? I think you talk about preventing injuries, uh, but also improving the player's recovery. Correct?
1: A- absolutely. I think that you know that's a the the, the idea of load management and, and understanding what players are going through and trying to sort of optimize readiness and energy levels. You know, each time the puck drops or the ball tips off, whatever sports you're playing, is always going to be of you know paramount importance. I think people are always wondering. You know how do I get my players to be the most energetic, the freshest when they need to be, so they can perform their best? Yeah. Uh, and the NHL has a very demanding schedule—82 games. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. You know, usually a minimum of three, sometimes five games per week. Uh, so you know it can be very challenging. So I think those questions are going to continue to be asked, and technology, you know, I think has the potential to help answer some of those questions. Now, mm-hmm. there's there's so much technology out there that does so many things that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it's really important that you, you're making sure you're asking the right questions. And, you know, I, I know when I sit down with our staff and our, and our colleagues here that, you know, we have so many questions. So then we have to fine tune into what's the best question to ask. And, OK, if yeah. we know this is the best question. What do we need to measure? We can measure 20 different things. Which one is going to tell us the most information about answering that question? So it's really about kind of using the technology Uh, as an assistant and not really letting the technology be the driver of the conversation. I think understanding the sport and understanding the demands uh, will lead you to asking the right questions. And then, you know, if you incorporate the technology after you've kind of already established your questions, I think using the technology to help answer your questions rather than using the technology to create questions uh, is a really important way to go. So I think as as technology improves, you know, there's going to be new products coming out all the time, but I think, you know, the other sort of side of that coin that I think is really important to recognize is, you know, the individual nature of each each athlete has to always be respected. And you know, yeah. what works for one player might not work for the other. And that's difficult in a team sport like hockey, where you have, you know, 20 or 23 players, and the coach is putting everybody on the ice at the same practice, you're all playing the same game. But mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about players who have uh, very different anthropometric setups, very different nervous systems, you know, very different genetic backgrounds and histories, very different injury histories. Um, very different, you know, points in their life. We have some 20-year-olds on our team and some 37-year-olds. So, you know, each player is is unique in the way they play the game, how they accomplish what they do, and then, you know, their physiological makeup. So I think the future of technology is also going to be kind of allowing us to assess the individual and tailor things to the individual while not, you know, distracting from the team concept and the team environment too much. You know, you'll never be able to, to run 20 different practices for guys in the NHL because, you know, a team practices together. Uh, But, you know, figuring out ways before or after practice to individualize and optimize whether it's performance training or recovery or soft tissue treatments or, uh, you know, sleep metrics or or, or devices to help uh, improve sleep or recovery, you know, different things are going to work for different players. And at the same time as you want to try to find those answers, I think you also learn that, you know, the questions you ask yourself about, well, what's going to work for this guy? And then when it does work, you're saying, okay, well, why did that work? How come it works for him, but not for him? Yeah. And, um, you know, that opens up a lot more questions. And, you know, I, I, I've been very fortunate to work with some great people in my young career. And, you know, it seems like everybody who's had more experience than me and been around longer just keeps saying that the more they learn, the more questions they have. And I think that's a, it's a really powerful statement because technology is allowing us to answer so many questions and collect so much information but uh, at the end of the day if you're if you're not sort of honing in on the right questions yeah. it, it's very easy to get lost in a sea of data and ultimately spend a lot of money on a lot of technology and do a lot of different things but not necessarily learn anything or gain a competitive advantage or advance your field or your understanding
0: yeah i think you're 100% right i mean you know we wrote a piece recently actually last week about the best practices to build and sell a sports performance product to a team. Mm-hmm. And we ask, you know, athlete trainers, director of sports science and performance, their recommendation. And, you know, one of the key takeaways was first, you know, you need to solve a problem, right? If you not, your product is not solving anything, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Then the product needs to, you know, fit into the workflow. And yeah. you know, does it consume more of your time every day for the players and the coaches, right? Cause if it does, if it doesn't fit into the workflow, it's never going to work. Yeah. Um, is it easy to use? Does it deliver insights? Like you said, right? Um, do you make sense of the data, yes or no? And, you know, is it expensive? Yes or no? Because the pricing is also a factor, right? Absolutely. So, uh, so what what are your, the three things that you're looking you know, for when you're considering buying new technology?
1: I, I think you just hit a lot of them on the head. Uh... The, the first one would be, like I said, to start with the question, what do we want to learn more about or, or what do we want to answer? And yeah. then once we know what we want to answer, what we're trying to measure, um, you know, that'll lead us, you know, to, to slim down the pack a little bit until, okay, maybe it's one of these 10 products. And then you have to see, okay, well, what are each of these products measuring and are they doing a good job measuring it? You know, Mm -hmm. you might have a product that in theory answers the question you want, but if they do a bad job collecting data and the data is very noisy and there's no reliability or validity to it, then, you know, that product's not going to be super effective. So you want to, first of all, know is, is the product going to measure reliably what we want it to measure? Um, And and assuming that's the case, which, you know, hopefully most products get past their, uh, you know, get past that part in sort of the research and development phase. But then, like you said, you have to determine, you know, logistically, does it make sense in your environment? Yeah. And I can tell you, you know, speaking from someone who's been in the NHL now for five years and, and watching what these players are have to go through every day in terms mm-hmm. of their schedule, we're talking about, you know, grown men in their 20s and 30s. Who you know are told what to do. You know the vast majority of every day. So come yeah. to the league at this time. You have a meeting at this time. You have a you know a practice at this time. Then you have to talk to the media afterwards. And you yeah. know maybe you don't want to, but you have to do it anyway. So if you're just gonna throw on, you also have to complete this test. You also have to fill out this survey. You also have to stand in front of this machine for five minutes while we collect some biofeedback. Yeah. You're really adding more thing to the plate. And if if the players are building a negative relationship or a negative connotation to that technology, then you're probably not going to get great results. And if you're able to get results, you're they're they're probably not going to be interested in implementing them. So I think yeah. making sure it fits into your workflow, and then finally, I think it has to it has to provide something that you can connect back to a player's performance. Um, I don't think anybody, especially these players, like to be guinea pigs. Nobody wants to do anything yeah. just to do it. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you the number of times I've spoken to other coaches or or players or other athletes who say that, you know, oh, we did this test every Monday for the whole season. Oh, really? What did it show? I have no idea. We never saw the data. (laughs) So, you know, like I I don't think it's appropriate or right to set up a a, a system or a scenario where, you know, you're using a player for your own benefit just to learn more. I think you have to educate
0: them. You have to educate them what that means.
1: And, you know, the the connection always comes back to these players. You know, they're – They're typically very high performing, very, very competitive people. They want to do better. They want to help themselves win. They want to help themselves be the best. So if you can connect the benefit of the technology to this will improve your performance because blank or, you know, if we can change this a little bit, it'll really affect your speed on the ice, you know, things like that. They're going to be very interested in that. And then it's on you and the technology to, you know follow through and make sure that, hey, using this information, we were able to help you with this. And that as a result, you performed better. You played better. You scored 15 goals instead of 10 goals. You know, you played more minutes than you ever have before. You stayed healthy all year. As long as you're connecting it back to their performance, I think that's ultimately a huge question too, because it's okay to have, I think some pieces of technology that are asking questions and collecting data that you might not use for a year or two, but there is a long-term goal and methodology to the plan. But ultimately, you can't have your sports science program or your sports performance program based entirely on that equipment. You need to have something that you know is helping you on a daily or, or you know more regular basis that the players can connect with and believe. And yes, these guys are collecting good information for good reasons, and I know it because they show it to me every day, and I see yeah. how it's helping me. I think that's a really important part. So, if a piece of technology can't really make that connection with a player, then I'm probably not going to want to invest in it because I ultimately I don't think I'll be able to create change with that player or have an impact.
0: Yeah. uh, I think you're spot on. Now, obviously my last question, you know, you've got lots of great players. One of them is Sidney Crosby, right? Which some people believe is one of the greatest of all time. Yep. Uh, I'm sure you know him really well. So what, what makes him a special player in your opinion?
1: Uh, It's a, it's a a very loaded question because I think there's so many things that make him great. Um, you know, having known, uh, having known Sydney for a long time, I think he's just, um, his, uh, his work ethic and his desire to be the best is just, uh, it's something fun to watch every day. Mm -hmm. He comes to the rink every day, every workout, every practice, every game, you know, every chance he has to uh, try to improve and be better, he's going to do that. And, you know, like we, like we talked about, it's pretty tough to play an 82 game season, traveling, sometimes you play on back to back nights. And, you know, it's very easy for guys to take a night off and, and yeah. we're very fortunate that he set the standard for our organization for a very long time. And, you know, he hasn't, he never takes a day off, you know, he never wow. takes a shift off or a minute off. So I think that's, um that's something that I feel very fortunate to have been able to watch firsthand over the last several years. And, I've been fortunate to know him. We're both sort of from Nova Scotia on the East coast of Canada there. So I knew him a little bit before I worked with the penguins yep. and getting a chance to see him and work with him. And, um, you know, it's truly been, uh, it's truly been a pleasure for me to, to watch that, uh, watch that unfold kind of in front of my eyes and now be a part of it in Pittsburgh.
0: Great. So look, uh, we, we're at the end of the interview. I really enjoyed the conversation and I want to thank you for your time. And so good luck with, you know, with the NHL season.
1: Thanks very much. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Great. Thank you. All right. Take care.